Hi, and welcome back to the second series of The Cloud Show. My name is Jez Back, and with me, as always, is my trusted, the marvellous David Organ. Hello. In this show, we, look, we, we will take a look at some of the key news that is hot around technology, especially in the cloud industry, and lift the lid to take a peek inside. Yep, we'll also take uh, a look at a specific area to discuss each episode. And this week, we're going to kick off the series with a look at a really misunderstood area of cloud, and that is cloud economics. But before we start, we would love to hear what you have to say. So please do get involved using the social media hashtag Disruptive Live, uh, compare the cloud and the cloud show. Hashtag the cloud show. It's a beautiful Hashtag thing. Very popular. So, come on, let's get on with the show. Firstly, it is my great pleasure to introduce our first guest, or our only guest this week, actually, it is JR Storman. He is the co founder and GM for EMEA for Cloudability. And don't get confused by his accent. Whilst he might be from overseas, he does live in London. Welcome, JR. Hello, thank you, Jess. Hey, brilliant. How, how's things for you? It's good. I'm really enjoying being here. I got eight months and I still don't quite have the accent, but I'm slowly <laughs> working yet. on it. Are you used to the rain yet? Uh, you know, where I moved from was actually a bit rainier than here, so it's been a nice respite. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's good. Portland, Oregon. It's uh, had 100 days of rain last year. Straight. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so, so you, you founded Cloudability with Matt Ellis. Yes. Go on. For the, we have lots of people out there who are new into cloud. So tell us all about Cloudability. Give, give us a, a bit of a spiel. What do you guys do? Well, so fittingly to the topic of the show, uh, Cloudability is all about the economics of cloud and specifically making cloud cheaper and better in the sense of how do we improve the unit economics. So everyone moves into cloud typically for the aspect of you know, moving more quickly and, and sometimes there's a cost savings component. But what we bring in is uh, visibility into what's happening with the spend, how to optimize that spend, and how to empower the teams across the organization to ultimately uh, make better decisions about their cloud as they go. So all with the idea of improving the unit economics to reduce the cost per transaction, the cost per order, or the cost per uh, page view, depending on the business. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, that's, that's pretty clear. I think that's Great. pretty clear. Yeah. Okay, well, so big topic this week. But before we do that, why don't we have one bit of news this week, David? Go on. One bit of on. news. Okay, so uh, I wanted to look at the Cloud Act that has recently hit the news. The clarifying law use, uh, law, lawful use of overseas data. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> I can't even get it out properly. Cloud Act. Uh, essentially, it allows the US president to enter into executive agreements with qualifying foreign governments in order to directly access data held by US technology companies at a lower standard than required by the Constitution of the United States. Now, to qualify, foreign governments would need to be certified by the US Attorney General and meet certain human rights standards set in the Act. Those qualifying governments will have the ability to bypass the legal safeguards of the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty. The MLAT, MLAT regime. regime. Yeah, good old God, MLAT. so many acronyms already. <laughs> yep. uh, I don't know if you're keeping up. I'm having trouble. Uh, <laughs> in addition, US law enforcement agencies, from local police to federal agents, can now compel US and foreign technology companies to disclose communications data of US and foreign users that is stored overseas, regardless of the data's physical location, potentially bypassing the country's privacy and data protection laws. This has opened up a can of worms about global privacy standards. Yeah, so, so it's, well, it's right on. back to this, isn't it? Well, so so Microsoft have basically, uh, well, rather the DOJ, haven't they? They've stopped the, the, the prosecution of Microsoft and the big fights in court mm -hmm. about that. 
mainly because they've bypassed it with this cloud act. So, I mean, as a US citizen, come on, Joe, what's your take here? Come on. Well, I can't say I'm very surprised by it. I mean, I think the, the process is not really changing that much, that there were already the ability for the, the government to do this. Um, it's just speeding it up a bit and making it clearer. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see which of the qualifying governments act enter into that uh, type of treaty backwards. Uh, the thing that highlights for me is, you know, the aspect of cloud where you've got these major multinationals that have data centers and regions, mm -hmm. and typically folks have been thought, thinking about that as data sovereignty in that place. If you stick a data center you know, in China, is it going to stay there? And I think that's the big question that's going to come up with you know, enterprise cloud users now is, all right, uh, we've stuck, stuck that data into this region. You know, now that there's no longer necessarily the protections that existed there before. Um, I think you know, as we see more and more, particularly in, in Europe and, and less, I think, now in the UK, uh, there's still some companies that are worried about security in the cloud. The issue that I think this highlights is, and maybe the, the typical story here, is that it's not so much about the physical security of cloud or, or that's whether it's going to get hacked. It's really about the regulations and rules that allow your data to be shared. So is it a response to GDPR? Is it you know, a way to sort of uh, get around that type of thing? I, I don't know. I, I would say that I think like most things that have come up with cloud, whether it be security or lack of education or anything else, I don't think it's really going to slow the adoption of the public cloud because I think companies, for the most part, are more worried about getting out of their data centers and being able to move more quickly. So, uh, to be honest, you know, it's one of those things that flew under the radar when uh, it came out. When I think it was February when it was signed. Yeah. Uh, hadn't really heard much about it until you know some of the new things with Microsoft's uh, Supreme Court case and whether that's mm -hmm. going to be going away. So, it's never come up with a customer that we've spoken with. Uh, granted, we have a bit of a selection effect in that we're working with folks who are public cloud. You know. I wouldn't say evangelists, but they're companies who are going into cloud as a cloud-first policy. So, you know, I think uh, like a lot of things in cloud, there will be some FUD around it, and then it will probably be quickly forgotten. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there is a, a whole conversation. I saw a thread recently where people were saying, oh, does this mean that now organizations are going to start moving away from U.S.-owned technology organizations because the federal government or whomever yeah. can start accessing data about my company in data centers oh. in my lands because they're getting around this whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, think I think that's sort of slightly extreme. That being said, it does make it more interesting for, for the other cloud players, ones who pretty much lost the cloud wars of five, six years ago, mm -hmm. to actually now yeah. start saying, well, actually, look at us. We, we don't have this problem. And if you're the, you care that much about If they can business. turn it to a competitive yeah. advantage. Yeah. But similarly, if these businesses want to trade in the US, they may have to submit to US way. laws. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, are you going to really give up a market the yeah. size of the US in order to offer clients uh, well, yeah. so, so non-US access to so, your so, data? So, so there, are, there are some cloud providers who have made a very you know, specific point about saying, no, no, we only service this country because we actually our business models go against uh, the, the public sector of that country. Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's happened in the UK. Are you, I'm not going to name names. It's happened in Germany. It's happened in France. So. I think it worked to their advantage, but broad, on a more broader aspect, I, I think it's another road bump mm -hmm. and the yeah. happy road to cloud, right? Well, and, and not to make a, an American-centric comic, but if you look at the cloud, public cloud market today, you've got the three big players. And yeah. so yeah. is it going to cause somebody to say, I'm not going to go with them, I'm going to go with, I mean, okay, next we'll go to Oracle, we'll go to IBM. These are still the fourth and fifth players in the space. So uh, it doesn't leave a ton of choices if you want to avoid that. And then if you get the UK with the uh, agreement back the other direction, Get a UK provider who could also, you know, be compelled via the warrants to share it. So, so this is the big challenge. This is why I'm a little bit barbar, you know, coming into a mirror. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, this, uh, this might open even a broader discussion about the topic. Yes, well, be something we're going to definitely look at though in the future. Yes. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, we need to move on because time is not our friend.
Now, let's, let's look at today's topic, which is cloud economics. Now, I think it's fair to say this topic is arguably the least understood, both by businesses and the technology industry itself. In my day job, one of the key things I like to focus on and help clients with is to look at how they can manage their cloud economics and how that affects their business cases. Which is, so this is a topic that's very much close to my heart. Now, cloud economics is just way more than cost optimization and just doing pounds and pence on, on a bill. And even though you can look at the AWS bill or whomever you get and you kind of go, oh, that, that, that horrified moment, okay? It's about helping organizations when they move to cloud and they get that bill and when they do or don't record in horror, it's about making sense of it and also the extent of their cloud sprawl, about what they're doing with that and how to control all these things. Now, every organization will hit a point in their cloud journey when they really need to start caring about their spend. And they, they really do focus on this sort of stuff, especially when it comes to operational spend and when it gets unpredictable. So this normally happens after they've completed a, a pretty large migration uh, to cloud services. And now the pounds and pence conversation of the bill starts coming in, or they want to start going towards predictive analytics to forecast when that spend is going to be you know, based upon reasonable points of assumption yeah, as these things go around. Now, there's a veritable smorgasbord of analytics solutions out there, yeah, and there's loads of these on offer. Um, we happen to have someone today who can help us with that. But the, many of them only get to a certain point where they just stop and they then say, all right, okay, we, we, we'll offer you beta services from there, but we're not going to be responsible for anything we say. But there are ones who are out there who can help and actually go the full breadth. And they get to an MVP and then they say, right, we're, we're not too, so when I say MVP, minimum viable product, uh, and then they and then they can start making a bit more feature rich. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I think is gonna be really interesting that goes to the market. Now, you also have uh, arguments about spinning up and down instances of services when they're not being used or having tools that send you warnings when you're approaching your budgetary load, yeah, all of that sort of stuff. But to me, that's just scratching the service uh, and our point solutions to a wider challenge. It's also about how the business case for cloud services and usage is fundamentally different from traditional business cases as the benefits and value measurements are simply not comparable in real terms. So what can businesses do? Well, we have an expert here. JR, yes. come on, I, I wanna start on this topic about really the cloud business case. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel quite strongly that the cloud business case is not the same as the business cases of old when you started doing infrastructure. So what's your take on that? How do you think that's different and, and how would you explain that to your clients? I think this may be an odd answer coming from somebody who focuses on cloud economics, but I don't think the cloud business case is actually about the pounds and pence or the dollars and cents in Amazon since they still bill in dollars. Um, because it's, it's the companies we see moving to cloud, for the most part, the big companies, the, the migrations that are happening in the FTSE 100s uh, are not about getting necessarily the cheapest cost for each server. It's about getting out of the data center contract that it, that's ending. It's yeah, about and hitting value. Yeah, it's yeah. about accelerating migrations because they know that they can no longer compete as a retailer if they're spending time running data centers. They need to be able to innovate. They need to be able to do experiments. They need to actually be able to move more quickly than they have been. They're switching to a DevOps culture. Uh, I think the the case that comes up though also becomes about how do you quantify that. And initially, you mentioned this aspect of. Uh, eventually, businesses hit a point where they get that pressure on the bill, the spending, and that's usually you know because they forecast it to be, you know, a million quid for the year, and ended up being ten million. And when that happens, there's a whole set of things that kick in, right? And first, the the sort of pants on fire, hair on fire aspect is, uh, you know, just what what happened? What are we spending? Where is it going? Why is it going? And then oh no, because we're in this world where it's cloud, where everyone spun up what they needed. 
who even spun it up? And, and how do we allocate it back? And how do we get it to the right places? And did we spin it down? And did, yeah, <laughs> I, I know the answer to that. The answer is no. <laughs> uh, you know, so if you look at that aspect of you know, the business case, I think the business case to cloud is clear. Like companies you know, across the board are realizing they need to go there. It's then how do they make sure that they're actually first able to accurately forecast where they're going yeah. and then ensure that they're hitting that over time. And that's not even about, I mean, there's a technology piece and as a data analytics company that, that does that, there's a, there's a lot underneath that where we need to tackle, but it's also a people and processes challenge, right? Mm -hmm. The yeah. challenge we see, I have this conversation every day in companies is, so you bought the cloud, now what do you do with it, right? It's, it's you know, I don't know how to charge back. I don't know how to think about, you know, reducing my rates. I don't even know how to tell my teams that they need to think about infrastructure now because they've just been writing software for the last, you know, two decades and now suddenly they have to run their own businesses. And mm -hmm. within that world, you've got now a, a DevOps person who has to talk to a line of business owner, who has to talk to a finance person. You've got yeah. procurement people who used to buy servers. And that's a really important point because you, you get to that moment of where you've got technology people who now just sitting inside a, a enclosed darkened room mm -hmm. stroking servers or doing their own code <laughs> and naming servers yeah yeah, yeah they, they, they can't do that anymore. they've got to be they've got to be really aligned and a understand what the business is doing mm -hmm. then understand what outputs they need and then work with those, those people and form those relationships to get there and then that, yes. that's where a huge that's your, your people and process bit but i think the other interesting point you brought out in that which i feel really strongly is in in my experience every time i've helped clients with this it all comes down to, are we going to save money? No, mm -hmm. actually, my advice to you is, mm -hmm. you're not going to save money. You're going to spend the same amount. You might even spend more, mm -hmm. but you're going to get a ton more business value. Yes. And so actually, the real trick you need to understand is, go back to, to first principles, and cloud will force you to do good IT practice, mm -hmm. number one. So as a result, you're going to have a lot of work to do there. Then you've got to change your business about the way how your people engage, your technology people engage with the business. Yep. And then, you can start unlocking true value yep. at its most efficient rate in terms of your pounds and pence. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, is that, is that, that's kind of your paraphrasing what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think, you know, so we, we manage about uh, 5 billion quid of cloud spend uh, for companies all over the world. And invariably, people start with this concept of cloud needs to be cheaper, we need to save money on it. And, and there's, there's a lot you can do to save, and it, all the levers you can pull, you can reduce the usage of things, you can turn things off, be elastic, you can buy reserved instances, all these areas. But you know, a lot of the times we'll go talk to a company and they're like, hey, you can save 20 or 30% on what you're doing and they don't actually care to action it because what they need to do is continue that migration out. They need to mm -hmm. understand and charge back that spend. You know, I, I had a conversation last year with a, a CTO of a, one of our Fortune 10 customers in the US and, and we kept putting in front of him, it was like, you've got $2 million a month of waste in your cloud environment that you're not actioning. And this happened over like three quarters of reviews with this person. And I finally was like, well, what?" Scott, like, what's, what's the deal? Why, why are you not actually doing anything about this? And he said, look, Jerry, I've got a, a $5 billion IT budget that I manage. And so cloud right now is 60 or 80 million of that. So optimizing 2 million on that is a tiny percentage of the mm. whole. You know, we need to actually focus on getting the whole organization trained up with this move that's coming. And that's just one company. Look at the other 2 trillion that's sitting in you know, IT around the world coming into cloud. So I, I think it's definitely an aspect of the business case needs to be rolled out to a world where you've got a cloud competency center who's ultimately, um, or a cloud center of excellence, who's not just talking about security and technology, but they're helping drive financial awareness and mm -hmm. helping educate the teams about this and taking uh, you know, these 
finance people who traditionally their involvement was at that initial purchase of the, yeah. the IT and it was locked and it was CapEx and it never changed and, and helping them understand they're, they're, they're along for the whole ride. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Getting the procurement people up, you know, engaged in that conversation mm -hmm. up front. I mean, I wrote a paper on this um, when I was a former employer and that was one of the things we said is absolutely vital if you're ever going to make your business case actually stick. And it's also about mm -hmm. understanding that this is not about saying, oh, in three years, we're going to achieve this in our business value and th these outcomes and, and these are the business benefits we're going to measure. It's going to be monthly and quarterly. And it says, well, it's going to kind of look like that in mm. two or three years time, we're going to come back to that. But it kind of looks like that. And trying to put that in front of a CFO and say, oh, you know, that's the business case. Yes. Uh, I'm not so sure. Oh, and by the way, it's now going to be much more unpredictable about how that spend's mm -hmm. going to go. Mm -hmm. Yet CFOs get and yeah, how does the discussion company. go when you say, yes, but a new technology may come in that will be completely different? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Owen, Owen, by the way, yeah. we, just, just giving you a heads up. And you won't know what you're going to spend until <laughs> 10 days after the end of the month, yeah. next month. Yeah. And yeah. then it's yeah. all based on what the thousand people in your IT team do, right? Yeah, if Kubernetes uh, is this, this year, then what's going to be next year? And yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. And they are looking for that predictable view into it, but what they've got to move, change the mindset of is that, yeah, you can forecast, and you know, we work with our customers to give them views of you know, what they're going to spend based on all the models. But at the end of the day, they need to be on board that this change is about enabling larger business metrics. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about unit economics, stop worrying about what exactly the bill is. Start thinking about how the cloud spending ties to your margins. Because for a retailer, yeah. one of the biggest expenses that ties to their cost of sale is cloud. One of the ones they can, mm -hmm. they can move the needle on. Right? Yeah. Uh, and every, you know, I had one of the CTO of a retailer here in the UK tell me a few months back, he said, you know, every dollar, again, because Amazon bills in dollars, that we can shave off our Amazon bill saves me from selling 40 cans of beans on the, mm. web, on the website, yeah. right? So it's the most potent form of savings we have in this in, in, in our business that we can affect. And then so you've got the volatility of FX in that model as well, yeah. when you're billing dollars and but stuff we, like we, that. Which is we've, tough, we've yeah. We've got agile development. Are we now talking agile finance? Absolutely, FinOps is what FinOps. it is. It's yeah. DevOps FinOps. to FinOps, yeah. yeah. FinOps. Uh, which is both, a, again, it's it's a iterative, collaborative process where you can't just lock it and come back to it next year. So pulling in these um, traditional business silos into the whole mm -hmm. development, uh, business production, delivery operation. Exactly, and that's this cloud center of excellence concept that's developing more and more, which is you've got to have people from all over the business think about this. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's no longer an IT problem or a finance problem. It's you're deploying capital uh, against your IT in ways, and you know, we talk a lot about CapEx and OpEx, that literally change the business and change mm -hmm. the planning cycles and change the margins for retailer. Uh, and you've got to start to collaborate in ways they haven't before. I call it, I call it uh, a business problem involving technology. Yeah, yes. the, <laughs> the yeah. Can do. But, and that's the whole point of cloud, right? Which is these companies are realizing they need to get out of being server farms. Like that's not what they're going to sure. be best at. Yeah. And they're going to need to differentiate and spend that money even though OpEx hurts. For a lot of these people that are uncomfortable with it, it actually helps them focus on what they're best at. Mm. So, uh, well, go on. I mean, no, no, you, you, be, you be, go. Be, before we this keep going, company, I mean, because it, it kind of ties into this this theme. Now, you mentioned at the start there are a lot of tools out there uh, that can essentially help identify um, what's going on and how much it's costing. But is it a case of a one-stop shop, or do you need to um, use multiple tools to effectively understand what's going on? I mean, fundamentally, the the cloud spend issue, if you will, or the problem to be solved, is is one of big data, right? If you look at mm -hmm. Uh, what Amazon does, they're at per second billing for a resource. I think uh, Microsoft at per minute billing now. If you think about a per second level, um, you basically have 33 million data points per month, 2.2 million seconds plus all the utilization that you have to capture for each and every resource. And out of this giant needle in a haystack where somebody may have 
tens of thousands of resources times 33 million data points, you need all the people in the organization to understand not only what is happening and what are the drivers, but then also figure out when there's anomalies or changes and all that. So I, I, I don't think you can look at it from a one-stop shop in the aspect of here's the one set of reports or tools or things you need to look at. You need to take all this data and sort of integrate it into all your systems, right? Your finance systems, your engineering systems. Um, I mean, our focus has always been on the sort of data analytics side of let's take all that and uh, we focus on what we call true cost, which cloud, it's probably a funny thing for this topic, but you know, cloud is uh, about amortizing resources that you prepaid for. Cloud is about you know, changing the rates that you may be showing to your customers. Uh, the finance stuff is about how do you allocate the spending and that may not always line up to the way that it's coming out of the cloud provider. So you know, for us, it's how do you get all that data together, get it right, show that true cost, and then drive that into the other systems so that you make mm. sure that the finance teams have the same numbers that the ops teams looking at, the business teams. Because at the end of the day, you need all these people to be having a conversation, and that conversation needs to be around a common lexicon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, I mean, you, you, you've touched on this. This is something I, I kind of keen to, to myth bust a bit. Mm -hmm. I, I got really excited um, in a bad way about hearing salespeople just saying, what's, what's the USP? You know, what's your unique selling point mm -hmm. about cloud? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, well, you can put everything onto operational spend. It's all going to be operational expenditure. And I sat there and I went, hang on, how many clients do I work with who have a very heavily capitalized model? Mm -hmm. As, you know, that, that's the way, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why I want to get there and then why they want to capitalize heavily. And if you're going to be a CIO or sort of a director of IT, going in with a business case that says, I've got $150 million or $150 million pound ERP, you know, SaaS, transformation project and by the way most of this is on opex yeah the, the door won't even touch you behind as you're getting mm -hmm. kicked out of the room yeah it's just yeah it's just yeah. It, yeah, it, there's no way how these people could get this past the cfo so a challenge that and, and actually it is possible to capitalize mm -hmm. and you know if you really want to read about it just go on google and have a look you know capitalize your cloud and you can do it but i mean how have you found those conversations? Yeah. Do you think there's enough being done in the industry to educate ourselves about the difference about that and breaking that sales myth? Or do you think that this is, this is a lost point and we, we've, we've, we've lost to this one? Well, m much like how I don't think the, the new Cloud Act is going to slow down the option of cloud, uh, I don't think the finance teams are going to slow down the adoption of cloud because they're uncomfortable with OpEx, right? Mm -hmm. they're, uh, but CFO can red card reasonably enough. They, they can. <laughs> I, I think what's... What we're, the, the, to the education question, the thing we're running into in the market that we see uh, big companies deal with is, yeah, what can we capitalize and what is capitalizable and how much are we willing to categorize this R&D spend as CapEx even though we're spending it as OpEx. You have this complication that comes in also with things like reserved instances, which are prepayments to the cloud providers to get a discount. Mm -hmm. Technically, they're prepayments of OpEx over one or three year periods of time. Well, so this is what was challenging because actually you could turn around and say that you know, take, take any one of your big three cloud providers, yeah. there they are, they own the physical asset of the TIN, mm -hmm. you know, the actual servers and stuff like that. But actually, because those VMs on those reserved instances have a unique identifier, you could actually argue that the organization that's paying for them can treat them as an asset. Mm -hmm. So then under IFRS 16, and there's been lots of conversations, the rest of it, you know, there is a very serious conversation that says you can capitalize those. And that, that changes the dial on people's business cases. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't change the cost. So uh, worth absolutely saying that to people, it does not change how much stuff costs. 
But what it does do, it changes the geography on, on the profit and loss on the P&Ls. And, and it requires a shifting of, of budgets and mindsets in the organization and an education that needs to happen where when people, we see people go to make these big pre-commitments mm. to the one of the cloud providers, and we're working with uh, FTSE 100 here who was going to put $2 million into one of the cloud providers, buy some RIs, reserved instances, and they were ready to do it. The business case was there, the savings were all there, but it got stalled by almost a quarter because the finance team was like, whoa, this changes everything we know. We need to dig in and look at the cost of capital, how this affects all these pieces. So, yeah. And just to sort of educate me a little bit, I mean, if you turn these into a capitalized uh, asset, can you, if it, is it an asset that you can sell on? Does it have intrinsic value awesome. beyond that of the business? I mean, wow. no. when we, we don't have enough time for that one. <laughs> financial instruments that you can yeah. bring to bear because something's capitalized, that doesn't really count. It's kind of right. a gray area yeah. between yeah. the two. Yeah, and the, the, the capitalization that's happening with prepayments is really just amortizing it out. So it's not all hitting in the first year, yeah. it's hitting in you know, up to three years. But you don't have that you know, tangible asset, which is why- It's still a subscription. You just is. get a discount because yeah. you pay in advance. Exactly, which, which is why you end up in this world where it's a trade-off that organizations need to make between, okay, am I willing to give up that asset mm. in order to move more quickly, in order to be more competitive, in order to not be left behind? And you know, that trade-off is, is happening. So, I mean, staying on this, this point a little bit, uh, the reality is with cloud economics that an OPEX model essentially will boil down to whether the CFO is happy to take uh, unpredictable spend. Would you agree with that? Yes, uh, I think unpredictable spend implies that they're not watching their data, they're not you know, forecasting what's happening. Um, when I say forecasting, not this yeah. kind of forecasting, mm -hmm. which is what data center forecasting has been and cloud started as, but actually using a data analytics engine to see what's going to happen and to figure out this trends before they, before they go. Um, there's definitely a discomfort with the unpredictable spend that we see out there. The trick is just getting visibility, right? So mm -hmm. that there's no surprises, uh, that, that they're focused in the right areas. Well, the, so the surprises finance are constrained. Yeah, yeah. The finances are, are constrained within a budget and probably within a time frame. Because yeah. the, the horror stories that we saw in the early days of cloud was no budgets, no visibility until a quarter later when the invoice finally hit the finance mm -hmm. team and then it was 10x. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, the visibility that, you know, data analytics engines like us can bring is, okay, we'll tell you literally the, you know, the day that the spike happens. Yeah. And, and that's where the comfort is coming back. You sort of think you about this. You want to stop loss, don't you? Yeah. When you're trading, you, the finance department should put in stop losses. Exactly. You think, so, yeah. think about this space of, of predictive analytics for cloud economics sort of as a safety blanket yeah. for, the, you know, for the finance teams to say, okay, we know we have to do this. We're being drugged into it by the business. Let's make sure that we at least have the data and insights and you know, visibility that we need. Right. Uh, that's been pretty serious. I, I think we're going to have to take a pause there, mainly because we're running a zone. But before we do that, I think it's time for a little bit of fun. It is the great sci-fi quiz. So, uh, JR, how are you feeling? I'm a little nervous about this. Okay, so I five watch, questions. Uh, just shout in, okay? Uh, if you do the scores, I'll do the, I'll I will, do the questions. I will, I will keep score. So here we go, and no yeah. Googling, by the way. Yeah, yeah, they have to, not you even online. Yeah, yeah, no Googling. So, it's just a prop. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Nadsat is a fictional language used by teenagers in which book and film? Hmm. I don't know this, I'm gonna guess. <laughs> Ender's Game? No, no, it is Clockwork Orange. I, I think our production team uh, that orange. one. We, yeah. we should pass it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are, we, are we going to pass it out? Oh, no, I was gonna get to that. I know I was gonna get that out. Mm. I was gonna get that out in a minute. Is that even sci-fi? Oh, absolutely, oh, right. yeah, it counts. So which 1865 novel by Jules Verne tells the story of the Baltimore Gun Club? Now, come on. This is this is, should be in your in your realm. Oh boy, Jules Verne. I love Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, Journey to the Earth. But this one I'm missing. Why is it in my realm? Is it? Uh, 
I don't know, man. From the Earth to the Moon. Oh, of course. There you go. Okay, so sticking with with authors. Yeah. What's the initials HG stand for? HG Wells. Uh, wow, I'm doing really well on this. We should, we should have started with this. But that'd be pretty tough. Um, Harrison Gareth. No, oh. Herbert George. Herbert right. George. Come on, you must be able to get this one. By what name do we better know the heuristically programmed algorithmic computer? Uh, and in which film did it first appear? That's going to be Hal. Yep. In 2001. Yay, there we go. Points. Hey. Yeah, excellent. Right, one. and last one. Jeff Bridges. He played a game developer programmer mm -hmm. by the name of Kevin Flynn in which 1982 classic American sci-fi action adventure? Mm. Uh. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the the music from the remake that Daft Punk did was even better than the original. Oh, you know, you know, you're getting that. Sean, so I'm gonna go with Tron. Yeah, yes. two out of five. Well, to be fair, that's better than other people have performed. In, I'm a little in shocked I've got two out of five. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think that's been a great show. Thank you very much, Jr. It's been a great pleasure having you on. Really instructive. Very very useful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having yeah. me. So, I mean, what do you think uh, about what we've covered? Do you think you can do better? On the quiz? Well, so Shall we no, throw one, it out there? no one has actually still answered the question from uh, which I, I, so until I've they promised, do. I have promised an Amazon Echo to the person who can take, give me the answer of who was the barman and landlord in the Moss Eisy Cantina in the original Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. So if you can do that, get us on hashtag the cloud show and give us your answer. Absolutely. So that's great. You can also do get in touch with us if there's anything else you want to talk to us about on this show. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in cloud economics and, and the rest, we are at Disruptive Life and at Compare the Cloud, as well as the hashtag The Cloud Show. Well, thanks very much for watching, uh, and we'll see you for the next episode, if indeed you still are.